Welcome to Life Together, a podcast for Gresham Bible Church, where we exist to glorify God in being disciples who make disciples of all people through the transforming power of the gospel. On this episode, Josh and I are joined by Lindsay Bach, and we have a conversation about leadership and the book Faithful Leaders by Rico Tice. We trust you'll find this conversation helpful in helping us to have a distinctly Christian view of what leadership is and why it matters so much. Welcome to Life Together. On this episode, we want to have a conversation about leadership. And specifically, we're going to use the book Faithful Leaders by Rico Tice. So have here uh, Josh. Hello. Hi. Producer Jordan. Hey, yo. And Lindsay Bach. Hello. Hi. So we're going to have a conversation about leadership. I have Josh's favorite flavor of LaCroix in front of me that he gets to look at this whole podcast episode, the goodness of key lime LaCroix. It's really that it's duck colors that bothers me. (laughs) It's it's a double hit for you. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's hilarious. All right. So we want to have a conversation about leadership, leadership and character. We're going to be exploring the book again, Faithful Leaders by Rico Tice. Highly recommend it. Uh, By the end of our episode, I hope... uh, If you haven't read it, you're going to want to go read it, talk about it with others at GBC. But in thinking about our conversation first, I just kind of want to tee it up real quick. So for me and my kind of former work life, I'm sure a lot of people at GBC can resonate with this. I mean, leadership is a multi-billion dollar industry. I'm not saying that's good or bad. It just is TED Talks, books, whole sections at Barnes & Noble, right? It's It's a thing. So I was reflecting on that preparing kind of for our conversation. I even took three books off my shelf that people gave me over the years. uh, And I'd recommend all three books. One is The Leadership Challenge. One is 212 Leadership by Mac Anderson. And the last one, which is really good, Adam Grant, Give and Take, kind of explores leadership and how it's evolved in the business world to be more about getting rather than giving. But I say all of that because leadership's on everyone's minds, but in like a secular context, it's seen as more like a technique or a strategy or something uh, that you can reproduce in your organization. And so I want to help us just kind of have that in our minds as we explore more leadership in terms of, well, what does God's word have to say about leadership? And maybe just kind of feel that tension and comparison and contrast and what the world's longing for and what God tells us about leadership. So anyway, so why do you think it's important we talk about leadership and character? go whoever wants to go first partly it's because we don't want to talk about it when we (laughs) think about leadership we we often are just thinking about okay what do i need to do like what do i need to decide um what do i need to change how does change happen and we neglect the inner life of who we are and how who we are actually affects the decisions we make how we treat people um, how we lead change. And so I, I just think there's a lot of pressure on leaders in general in our world, but especially a fast-paced world. And in a fast, uh, really quickly changing world, I think people are just really in leadership are tired. And so we're often yeah. just thinking, what do I need to do, right? Yep. And so we're, we often then just neglect the who we are side of leadership. 
That's so. It's good. not even part of it. We just kind of don't want to talk about it. it feels uh, counterproductive to what we're actually thinking we need to do. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It's good. Anybody else have any thoughts? Why do you think it's important we talk about leadership? Yeah, I'd say two two things. First of all, I think everybody's a leader in some respects, whether they're up on stage preaching a sermon or at their job in their home, but someone is looking at you, whether you realize it or not. And, you know, not judging who you are, but, you know, try following you, whether it be good or bad. And so there's the our own aspect of being a leader that I think we need to be aware of. But I think, too, it's important, especially talking in a church context of what are the leaders we're looking for? Um, you know, we talked briefly, we sort of started recording. There are so many churches who have prominent leaders in the last 20 years, well, really since the churches started, that have had bad falling outs, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's why do those ones get talked about? It was because they were prominent. They were making an impact at one point and then something happened. And so is that something that could that have been found out earlier or I don't know, but I, I hope that we as a church people, as GBC or just the Capital C Church in general are seeking out those godly leaders that are full of the character of God that, and that we're affirming it doesn't matter you know, how funny you are, how charismatic you are. Are you faithful to the things that God asks us to be faithful to? And those are the people we want to be putting in place to be our shepherds, right? Um, so, so yeah, it's for ourselves and it's also for the leaders we look for. And I'm sure I'll say before the podcast is done, reading books like this, having conversations like this just makes me so thankful to be at a church like Gresham Bible Church where, okay, these are all people I want to learn from. Yeah. 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 Lindsay, from your perspective, why do you think it's important in the life of a local church that we talk about leadership? I, I agree with what Jordan uh, was just emphasizing there that Thank whether you. yeah, <laughs> whether you're in a position of like formal leadership or not, we all are following someone. And so we want to make sure that we can recognize the kind of people that Jesus actually that who are like Jesus and who lead the way that he does. And he didn't um, come to lead as um someone oppressive, someone who made it all about himself, even though it was all about himself, but he <laughs> he led as a servant. And so we should be looking for servant-hearted people to lead us. And then we should be um, leading others in that way as well, whether we're, yeah. we're leading um, people that we work with um, or our children or um, whatever context. We can even lead our friends, I think, um, toward what's right and what's wrong. And so um, we all need to think about the places where we have opportunities to lead in a positive way. Mm-hmm. That's good. Well, I think that, yeah, because I agree with everything. And I think the the reason why this is so serious and why talk about this is because of the natural effect our lives have on other people. Yeah. And I mean, I talk about that a lot at GBC, but just, I think as a leader, my leadership principle is uh, we reproduce who we are. Mm-hmm. I think we see that every area of your life is your, if you're a parent, a friend, just the idea that who you spend time with, uh, you become. Uh-huh. And like I, I look at my kids and I see some of the good and I see a lot of the flaws in me and them. <laughs> and so you just naturally take on the personality and the character of the person in leadership. It happens even then in churches, even in organizations. 
I imagine, um, mm-hmm. from your past experience, Mike. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, we've just seen that happen. Every church at, over time um, kind of takes on the personality and the character of that leader. Yeah. And um, I think that terrifies me personally. Yeah. Um, but then I love how in this book, even the Alistair Begg introduction, he quotes um, one of my favorite quotes from Charles Simeon that says, uh, have a watchful eye over yourself for generally speaking, as is the minister, so are the people. And I think that's also why Robert Murray, Murray McShane, who I think died when he was like 25, 26, you know, just wise beyond his years, um, said, my people's greatest need is my personal holiness. It's that idea because you're, I'm going to rub off on you. Yep. And um, so that's a, that's a pretty sobering thought. Right? It is. Yeah. I think it's always important that we talk about this. I mean, think about in scripture, the qualifications of elders and deacons and its character. So for God's church, for him to give us what's important, he speaks to more who we are rather than what we do. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, let's lean into that. So thought a helpful kind of entry point again is the book Faithful Leaders by Rico Tice. So maybe if we could just go around briefly, kind of help us um, have some things to hold on to as we explore the book. How would you briefly summarize the book, maybe in your own words, and then we'll start to explore it together from there. So Jordan, would you mind going first? Sure. Um, I, I think that this book, you know, he says at the beginning, it's written for, yes, pastors, but basically anyone who serves in a church. And I think that's it speak most primarily to, but like we just said in our intro here, everybody's a leader in some capacity. And there are so many good practical things that come out of this that are biblically rooted that he just puts it in a way that's really easy to read, to understand, and um, just be like, wow, yeah, that that's what I need. I need to start applying that to my life on a more regular basis, or this is the kind of thing I need to be searching out for in the people that I'm following mm-hmm. as well. So this is a super short book. It's like a hundred pages, if it's even that, because there's a bunch of pages at the beginning that don't even count as page numbers <laughs> and it's tiny words or uh, tiny pages with not much on it. Like I read, I reread this book last night in like three hours, if that, and that was because I was also playing with my daughter at the same time. So <laughs> this is an easy read. I encourage everyone in our church to read it. And, uh, you're going to find something that's going to stick with you based on the the different, you know, we'll, we'll go into the different chapters and stuff like that going forward here. But I can't imagine a single person reading this and being like, yeah, I didn't really get anything out of that. Like you're going to get something out of it to help you. Thank you. Lindsay, how about you? How would you summarize it in your own words? Yeah, I think that, um, well, maybe less of a summary and more just like a response to it is yeah. that I think that I really appreciate that this book doesn't just um, talk about leadership in a really like cerebral or hypothetical way, but is is really intensely practical and um, in a couple different ways, like talking about questions that you should be regularly asking yourself and truths that you should be reminding yourself mm. of from the gospel that will impact the way that you live, that will change the way that you approach others as a leader and then also being practical and encouraging things like regular accountability and stuff like that to ensure that the way that you're living your life is in step with the kind of leader that you want to be. Um, So I really appreciated that because I think that some some books can just get, I mean, too maybe too theological, too like cerebral and um, aspirational, Mm -hmm. um, but not really 
bring you down into the reality of like, this is what it looks like to try to live toward that. So I really yeah. appreciated that about the book. Yeah, that's super helpful. Josh, mm -hmm. how about for you? I mean, I think it's been pretty well covered, the summary of the book, mm -hmm. uh, just that who you are matters. Yep. So, um, and it kind of gets at why that is yep. and how to, you know, uh, so the four chapter titles are, you have to define success, uh, what you're going for. Uh, number two, fight your sin. Three, lead yourself. Four, serve your church. And so it's just kind of that um, starting with yourself and, and kind of tracing that out and then therefore how that has effect on the church. So, yeah, yeah, good. So maybe let's go a step further down into that. So is character or competence more important for leadership and then why, what would you say to that? I mean, I think I've already played my cards in that. I think character matters more. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I think the reason for that is because that seems to be what matters to Christ. Mm -hmm. If we're just talking about ourselves as Christians or if we're talking about especially Christian leadership, because the only two offices in the New Testament for leaders are deacon and elder. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the qualifications for those roles, there's not a lot of skill involved or competency to put it in that word. There's a little bit, but it's yeah. really has a lot more to do with who you are, how you love, um, that kind of stuff. And so character matters more to God than competency. It doesn't mean that competency doesn't matter, mm -hmm. but I do think this feels like something people go, yeah, I would want that. But there's a deep challenge within our hearts because at least what we look for in leaders are often not that. Hmm. We often are not content with someone's character being really high and solid and and having a positive effect on the community, we often look for leaders who have way more than that. And then we're often able to overlook areas of character that aren't even, that, that are really damaging. You know, wow. I mean, the classic examples are, you know, the worship leader who's a great vocalist and musician and good in front of people, you know, yet kind of when you look at their life, it doesn't, you, know, you kind of overlook it because you kind of evaluate that and you go, well, this is more important because people connect with this or right, yeah. the pastor who's a really gifted speaker, um, the executive pastor who's a really good organized leader and driver, you know, um, just the charismatic type leader, um, strategist um, type person. And I think we, we even notice that that's what we gravitate towards because of the books that are written mm -hmm. and the things that we're trying to refine in our own lives and improve. We see those areas as the things that we need to grow in to make us a better leader. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's hard because we don't, we're not, I don't want to be dismissive of those things. Like those things do matter. Like you could be a very oh, yeah. poor leader in the way that you you're frustrating those you're leading and you're not giving any direction and, and all of that. But at the end of the day, um, if you have a leader who loves God and loves you and is a great example, yeah. um, which is what we're called to do as pastors, at least is to set an example among the flock, then you're, you might not be a part of something really exciting, mm. but you won't walk away going, Oh man, I'm like ruined, you know? Um, by this person's leadership. Yeah. So, and I'm curious, <clears throat> just thinking, reflecting on what you're saying, as you've reflected on that, why do you think, lack of a better way to say it, people gravitate towards that leadership 
that character, maybe the weight doesn't fall on character. Like it's a component or an element in the recipe, but you can take or leave it because of, well, this is successful. Like, Mm -hmm. what do you think is inside of us that, I don't know, is drawn to that, is okay with that? Um, Uh I don't know. I'm I'm just curious, not that we're going to like come up with the perfect answer, but maybe just to kind of sit in that for a minute. Like what's inside of us? I think there's, I mean, I'd be curious what everybody else has to say, because I think there's a lot of answers to that. Yeah. But I think if I'm just kind of evaluating a little bit of our Western culture and American mindset, I think we just really like being a part of something significant Mm -hmm. and greater. And Mm -hmm. so we don't feel great. We don't feel significant. Um, We're not content in the significance we're told we have in Christ as Christians, at least. And so we're not great and we're not significant in doing something that feels much bigger than us. And if I don't feel like I can do that, the minimum what I can do is try to link up with somebody who is that mm. and who is leading us towards that. And so it just feels exciting like to go to a, I mean, I don't know, it's exciting to go to a, a game and it's just packed and you're like, I was there, you know, or it's exciting to go to a concert and you're like, I saw that there were thousands of us there. Or mm-hmm. you walk into a room and, you know, maybe there's introverts listening that they're like, that sounds horrible. But at the same <laughs> time, most of us want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We want to feel like we're doing something significant and great in this world. And I think there's God-givenness to some of that. And there's also probably some sin in there, but, mm. um, it's hard to weed through that. But so at the end of the day, I think we, we want to, to link up with leaders who we think can bring us and provide that for us yeah. and not walk around, especially in our comparing sort of culture that we live in. Um, if I compare myself and what I'm a part of to something else, mm. and if that's perceived as more successful or greater to me, mm. then it's going to diminish what I feel like I'm a part of yeah. and it's going to make me discontent and okay, maybe I need to, link up with someone where, where real things are happening, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I don't know, just some, some thoughts. I think the, the comparison aspect you just said at the end is, I mean, you can trace that all the way back to Israel's first king, right? Yep. They pick Saul. Why? Because he's a head taller than everybody else yeah. and he looks like a king. <laughs> and they're like, well, if we're going to have an earthly king to go against the other earthly kings, we want our king to look better than everybody else's king. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's why they pick him. And Guess what? Saul has some character flaws. Yeah. I mean, David does yeah. too, but, <laughs> but at least David is a man after God's own heart when it comes to repentance, when his character flaws show up. But I don't know. It's, I mean, it's just something inside of us of, you know, it is Western world that we do the comparison stuff. Everything's, you know, numbers, statistics, analytic based of, oh, mm-hmm. when you ask how's church going, a lot of times people mean how many people go to your church or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it's even there at the beginning of Israel of okay. they're they're comparing themselves to everything else around them. And so I think it it comes down a lot of times to a hard issue of we're comparing ourselves to the wrong thing, right? Oh. We're not comparing ourselves to God. And when we compare ourselves to God, to Jesus, who's a servant leader, and what leadership actually looks like, well, then character would come yeah. into play. And, that you know, I don't want as people listen to this episode to be like, you know, every leader who has a massive following – Oh, you yeah, know, conning right. their way into getting there. There <laughs> yes. are some people who have great character who also have huge significant impacts. Uh, yes. But there's also people who have congregations of 70 people that are some of the most faithful, godly people the world would ever know, but mm-hmm. nobody's going to know who they are yeah. because they're just doing what they're supposed I to be doing. I appreciate bringing that up because there can become a false dichotomy in our hearts of it's either faithfulness or fruitfulness, right. mm-hmm. you know, in terms of like effectiveness or gifting or skill. And it's not saying those things aren't important because leadership's important. That's how God's designed the world. And at the same time, though, I just think of like, 
you know, Augustine's disordered loves. I've like disordered ideas or loves about what leadership is mm -hmm. and character is the foundation and that God's clear on that. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How about, um, the, I think the book does a great job teeing this up. What is leadership failure? And then why is defining success so important in leadership? So what is failure in leadership? And then why is it important to know what failure is and how to define success? Anybody want to take a stab at that? Well, according to Rico, failure is being successful at the things that don't matter, hmm. which is not <laughs> the fact that he's putting success and failure in the same sentence is not how most people think of it. And this is a theme he goes back to multiple times throughout the book. But so then you have to start asking, well, okay, so what are the things that don't matter? Or what are the things that do matter? And that's where he starts to go forward with things in this. But um, he says the metrics of success and failure is not what your relatives write on your gravestones. So like when you die, what's your epitaph? But what God says to you that day that you die. So being successful has to do with who God says you are and what God wants of us, not what the world would judge as success. Yeah. I mean, how about just real quick to make sure that people are receiving that in the way that it's intended? Could there be misconceptions around that? that statement that um, Rico says, failures being successful at the things that don't matter, what could be a misunderstanding or misapplication of that? Yeah, I think that it could be really easy to hear something like that and think that the only important things we do are things that impact a lot of people um, or are easily recognized by others. Like, oh, I'm going to go lead this Bible study or I'm going to go you know, whatever, whatever mm -hmm. you do. Um, and think that the small mundane things that we're called to be faithful in don't matter, but they do matter. Um, the, the things that we do every day are the things that shape us. And so even if you fill your days with like scrubbing toilets and doing laundry, um, which is what I do a lot, um, <laughs> that those things matter because they, they're shaping you and they're also shaping they're shaping the people around you. So you're modeling the attitude of a servant um, in the way that you might serve your family um, or your coworkers. And that's really significant because that's a way to lead um, by serving other people. And it's also important, I think, because um, God is a God of order. And when we are bringing order to the world around us, we're glorifying him by um, being good stewards of the things that he's given us. And, um, taking care of the well-being of the people around us. So sometimes that might mean that we're like making people dinner um, or doing yard work. And sometimes it might mean that we're writing a sermon or, you know, leading a Bible study or whatever that is. All of those things are significant. Yeah. Um, what makes them things that matter is the heart that we have mm -hmm. in doing them and our desire to serve the Lord and others through them. I so appreciate that. Thanks for sharing that. Lindsay. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think what comes to my mind with that is sort of, I mean, you know, that verse, you know, whatever you do, do it unto the Lord. Mm -hmm. um, you think of Christ and that image of him separating the sheep from the goats and he goes, I would, I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. You know, there's this 
way in which that we treat one another and the impact I make on others and um, what I do in serving other people. If I'm doing it under the Lord, that's that's a really beautiful thing. And no one may notice that, but God notices it mm -hmm. and it matters to him. And so I think part of that question of what is success is kind of then asking, you know, well, what is God after in this world? Yeah. And what is what is he wanting me to do and participate in and become? And and then when you think on a church level, I mean, you, you think of the one of the primary images is that of a body. And so it says, you know, the ear can't look at the knee and or whatever the, you know, and go, you don't matter. Mm -hmm. You know, it's no, we, we need everybody and we all have gifts. We all need to serve. And some of those are more maybe up front than others, but they're nonetheless just as much as important as the other ones. Yeah. Yeah. How about, I mean, there's so much that we could discuss and kind of bounce around together, but how about for the sake of kind of advancing an argument or an idea from this book in terms of faithful leadership and quick thing, I feel like I, I need to say, um, faithful doesn't mean lazy or apathetic. So I think it's important if when you're listening to this, okay, what do we mean by faithful leaders? Like define your terms biblically and what faithfulness is. So just maybe that's homework assignment from this podcast episode, but like <laughs> don't equate, oh, God just wants us to like, just, you know, put my money and dig it in the ground and Lord, aren't you happy with me? So that that's not the idea of faithfulness. There's an advancing idea to it. But Well, like what we said before too, uh, but it's worth saying again, just faithfulness doesn't have a number to it. Hmm. Yeah. And unfaithfulness doesn't have a number to it because you could be a pastor of 10 or a thousand and be called faithful or unfaithful, like helpful mm. or really hurtful. Mm. And so I think some people think of faithfulness as small. Yeah. Um, and it's just not the case. That's good. Amen. How about for just, a, yeah, that's so good. So, so let's kind of like apply that or think about that. What happens when an individual Christian and a local church drifts in this. So drifts in terms of understanding what leadership is, what success is. So maybe um, I just recently finished reading the book Lead by Paul Tripp, really good. And he talks about kind of the drift that can happen specifically in a church when competency strategies or structures are valued more than character. So what can happen in that? when that happens thoughts i think one thing that stood out to me in the book is um uh, this quote um by jack miller that says if the pastor is not the chief repenter the gospel becomes a theoretical solution for the theoretical problem of sin for theoretical sinners should there be any present hmm. and that quote is really convicting because i think if the church kind of drifts from this idea then kind of what we're even preaching and what we're even saying we're believing and how we're supposed to be living kind of is becomes more of this like theory thing. It's kind of a don't just do as I say, but not as I do, you know, yeah. um, kind of thing where we could be holding out the hope of the gospel to people, but they're, but we're like, well, I'm not, but I don't really believe this, you know? Mm -hmm. And that kind of start starts at the top, um, which, I mean, there's a lot of threads that could be on, pulled there because I think what's hard about that quote alone is I think a lot of us, we just don't want that from our leaders either yep. because mm -hmm. we want our leaders. We want someone before us that we go, Oh, they're like a more perfect example of what I would hope to become. Mm -hmm. Or 
we put a lot of pressure on leaders to be that. And so I'm not sure if we really want to think that our leaders fail or our leaders sin or need to repent. Mm -hmm. And um, so there's a lot to unravel, I think, within that. But at the same time, I think if we what the question is, what if we drift from this, Mm -hmm. what happens? I think we become a theoretical church um, versus a actual church. Wow. You know, Um, and we're just kind of trying to create something and kind of uh, trick ourselves Mm -hmm. into thinking like we're all good and better. Mm -hmm. And we even say God is moving. But like if this isn't at the heart of our our understanding of what it means to lead or be a Christian, then um, I don't know if he really is. Wow. Yeah. I've said it before, but like healthy things grow and unhealthy things grow. Mm-hmm. I look out my backyard, yeah, backyard window every day, and I see that. And um, so, growth isn't the goal. Mm-hmm. It's we, you want the healthy stuff to grow, yeah. which means there has to be a pruning or a uh, an uprooting of the things that aren't healthy, yeah. and that happens through repentance. Wow. And in your garden, like the weeds grow faster than the the good plants. Like totally. yep. <laughs> the speed at which something grows is not always an indicator of its quality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but growth is promised. Yeah. So too, if you do the right things, yeah. right. Um, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Competency is important. Like if you read Paul's letters to Timothy, he's telling him to, Mm -hmm. you know, be prepared to speak truth, be diligent, hard worker, all that sort of stuff. So there's an idea of competency that comes with that. But then uh, Rico has a, a thing in chapter one here under a heading says character matters. He says, the scriptures nowhere call men to teach truth without also commanding them to live it out. Mm-hmm. In 1 Timothy 3, verses 2 through 7, when Paul lists out qualifications for being an overseer or, or elder, there are 12 that speak to character or relationships and only one about teaching. A leader's character must never be an afterthought, nor can strengths in teaching justify or make up for weakness in conduct. So I think a lot of times when it comes to leaders at churches and pastors particularly, we're like, oh, he's such a dynamic teacher and man, he's so funny and or whatever. And well, he talks earlier of you got to preach the word first. You got to have handling on that. But just hearing that of the, even the qualifications for the people who should be leading churches that... 11 of the 12 have to do with how you conduct yourself in your relationships. Teaching is still important, and we do want to put an emphasis on that because that that is one of the – at least is the most public role that a, a pastor leader will have for us. It's all the other stuff, though, that's happening maybe not as out in the open, but that's what really is going to make the difference. So, I mean, the whole yeah. – the other quote that you just had there of – if you're not preaching, if a pastor's not preaching repentance to himself first and, and doing that, yeah. then it's, Amen. yeah, it, it's a theoretical church. That's a really good way that you put that, Josh. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Just thinking about this, even in the moment and over these last few weeks, reflecting on it, like as a dad, I want to cultivate the desire and understanding in my kids that, um, prayerfully are going to follow Jesus, that they have the right and true and good understanding of the kind of leadership that they should look for and expect in the local church and in their families in the future, et cetera. So like how we think about leadership matters for the health of the church. Like it's really, really important. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, 
there's so much in this book that, uh, Lindsay, I appreciate what you said. It's not just theoretical, it's sound, it's biblical, uh, it's theological, but it's really practical. Like it really lands and you can, um, there's questions in the back that you can explore uh, yourself and discuss with others. So it's really good. I guess I kind of wanted with that as the backdrop or the theme, just kind of um, hear from each of you, what do you think are some leadership temptations in our context? So for yourself personally and or in our context, our cultural moment, our time and place, what are some temptations around this idea of faithful leadership? As I could see right now, even me, I'm nodding my head like, yes, faithful leadership, it's good. Okay. Mm -hmm. What are some temptations that may knowingly or unknowingly pull in the other direction? Uh, I think one that not just as leaders, but just as people in general that we probably all struggle with is approval of others as opposed to approval of from God mm -hmm. that I'm more concerned about what other people think of me, you know, if, if, if I get the chance to preach to the congregation, oh, did they like my sermon? Did mm -hmm. I do a good job? And it's like, well, it, am I more concerned about that or am I more concerned about did they hear God's word and how is that, you know, going to challenge them, encourage them, affect them? this next week going forward or whatever, if I'm only concerned about, did I do a good job? Do people think, oh, Jordan, yeah, he can preach. He, he did okay. Well then, mm -hmm. I mean, right there, even though the message might've been good and helpful to someone, if my hope going into it is just to make other people like me more or think that I can do a good job, I mean, that you can start mm -hmm. to go off in a bad direction really fast yeah. if that starts to seep in. And I think that's very common for all people just in how we live our lives in general, but especially for pastors or for Christian leaders doing things in the church. That's got to be up at the top, I would think. Yeah. Or maybe it's just me and you're all like, wow, Jordan, you got some serious issues. But I do think you're getting to the, the core of probably what every human being deals with. I mean, I would um, I would imagine any other job or any other just uh, relationship or, you know, family role. Um, there's always this sense we want to do things well. And there's often this underlying thing that we want to do that well so that we can hold that up and go, see, I'm something, yep. you know, I have yeah. significance or um, I'm okay, mm -hmm. you know, and we have all these great aspirations. We put a lot of pressure on ourselves. I mean, I, I've at least, I mean, you could speak into this more than I can, Lindsay. It really seems like, and I've heard other people say, especially if you're a stay-at-home mom full-time, that there's more pressure on stay-at-home moms today than ever, you mm -hmm. know, to kind of like run a side hustle and be this, <laughs> like have your house perfectly and you mm -hmm. got to have your other hobbies and um, you got to, you know, be this perfect parent and mm -hmm. know exactly what to cook your kids and so that they're healthy and, you know, have all these extracurriculars and there's just a lot of pressure. Yeah. And so in a way we kind of then define faithfulness by what other people say it is mm -hmm. and we can kind of, but we're doing that, I think in part to hold ourselves up to kind of say, I'm, I'm something right. I'm okay. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think there's a huge feature um, to that for why that's such a problem. Well, and because none of us can attain perfection, yeah. I think that that leads us into a lot of shame that causes us to try to hide our imperfections. Yeah. Um, so like, well, I can't be perfect at this, so I'm just not going to talk about it. Like we're yeah. not you, like, uh, I think you talked about in a sermon recently, like the, the room where you shove all the mm. junk that you don't want people to see when they come over. Um, and so that shame causes us to yeah. hide things that we don't want other people to see, whether it's just like simple mistakes and failures or it's huge care 
character flaws um, that that we will hide because we don't want people to reject us um, mm-hmm. because of because of the, the wrong thing that we're doing. Um, and I could see how when, when your vocation is a pastor, there could be even more of an impulse to do that because now it's, if, if you're like an accountant or something and you might not necessarily lose your job if you do something immoral. But if you're a pastor, you almost certainly will or should potentially, right. depending on what you did. Yeah. Um, so there's even more of this impulse to try to hide it. And so the need to have people that you're willing to be honest with uh, who can hold you accountable to the kind of character that you want to exemplify is so necessary. But no accountability is perfect unless you have someone like literally following you around all the time. Um, accountability is only as good as you use it. And there there can be people who can have, quote unquote, accountability, but continue to live this double life. Um and yeah, that's where you get into situations where there are major abuse situations and big mm-hmm. church explosions because of stuff like that. And so yeah. that, but that impulse towards shame and a desire to hide, I mean, it goes back to the Garden of Eden and mm-hmm. it's in every mm-hmm. one of us. We all um, try to hide our flaws in different ways and conceal them and or minimize them for other people. And, and that's something that I struggle with um, a lot personally as well so it's mm. yeah i think it's in all of us yeah absolutely yeah, that's good. yeah i think i think uh, this is all connected in a way but i'd kind of a different angle to it is that what i mean the question again is what are some leadership temptations in our context and i think for us it's that leaders especially in the church and just in the christian community in our roles as christians we're supposed to not be the the focus right like right. in a way it's like our eyes are always supposed to kind of look look at the person, but then kind of pass them and land on Christ, Mm -hmm. you know? And so um, I think we do have the temptation to want other people to be like a savior figure in our life. Mm -hmm. And and we're not as content with having Christ be that figure. And so when leaders let us down, it kind of derails our faith. Or we find out they're not perfect, you know, which we would all say, well, I would expect they aren't. But like when we find out they aren't, it can kind of have a negative effect on our lives because yeah. we've hoped that they could almost be that person for us or lead us into a better circumstance or a better life that I'm I'm hoping to link up with and be a part of something great and significant, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I think our our eyes are supposed to land beyond one another. Mm-hmm. I think we're supposed to be able to reflect the image of Christ. But when we're if we're doing that rightly, it's kind of making me go. Oh, I so respect and appreciate you, Mike, you know, mm-hmm. for example, but it, but it should make me want to press past yeah. you and go, I'm thankful for the work of Christ in your life. And, um, yeah, I just think that's what we're supposed to do. I think there's a Gresham Machen quote in here. Um, was it Machen or Macon? I can't know, uh, but he's a really 1900s, uh, really brilliant guy, but it says on his deathbed, he prayed like, God, I thank you for the obedience of Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, that he is like the perfect example of that. Like he is the one that I'm supposed to like have my eye land on. And so, yeah, I think we just shift our like hope and we have these like savior complexes, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, we're not as content with, I think, Christ being that mm. for us. That's um, really good. Um, so, How about, I mean, leadership, uh, we're again, not going to fully define it and have a helpful conversation in a brief podcast episode. But let's think about in the theme of the book is practical, accessible. 
So how are each of you cultivating distinctly Christian leadership in your lives and how would you encourage someone else? So even Jordan, let's say like a student comes to you, says like, Jordan, I'm, I'm maybe exploring, you know, I feel called maybe a missionary or a pastor or this, like, how do you help cultivate Christian leadership in someone's life? And I'd love to hear us just briefly, each of us speak to like, what does that look like for you? Like this week, last week, this upcoming week, like how are you cultivating these things? Not making about you, but like, how are you leaning into this? Does that make sense? Well, chapter three okay. is about yep. lead yourself. Mm-hmm. And uh, he starts with uh, Rico met a 13-year-old kid at Eton College, which I'm sure we're all familiar with because 20 of the UK's 55 prime ministers came out of that school. Uh, that goes without yeah. saying. We already knew that stat. <laughs> but he asks this kid what he's learned. And he says, I've already found that if I don't do what I have to do when I have to do it, I just fall behind and then I'm struggling. So I guess I'm learning to lead myself. And I suppose that once I learn to do that, I'll be able to lead other people. So if a kid came up to me and said, what do I do if I want to be a leader? I think we got to figure out how to lead ourselves first. And mm-hmm. um, Rico goes on to how does he do this on a, a, a daily basis is he's to remind himself of who God says that he is, which is actually since we read this since last year, I've tried to kind of do this too. So every morning Rico, when he wakes up, will ask himself four questions. When did God choose you? Rico, when did God choose you? Well, before the creation of the world, meaning like God has had a plan for him and, and God, you know, was holding on to him. Rico, how does God feel about you? And that's one I have to ask myself mm. daily and remind myself of. And your identity is in Christ and whether's, whether others accept you or reject you today does not make you any more or less valuable or accepted or loved. Rico, why is today a great day? Because today's the day that God has planned for you. And if God says it's good, then it's good. Rico, why is today a better day than yesterday? Because your days march closer to home, 24 hours closer to seeing Jesus face to face. He has more to say about that, but if you, I've been trying to do this of using these same kind of questions and even stealing his answers because they're biblically true. But if I can remind myself of those things before I go forward and what I have to do, then hopefully that's starting to help me be a better leader because I know who God says I am, that I'm not leading for the sake of approval from others and things like that, that I can carry that forward, mm-hmm. that I'm, I'm doing this for God because of what God has done for me and what Amen. he said about me. Amen. I love that chapter. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe let's go around the room. Lindsay, how are you cultivating this in your life? Um, yeah, I, th- I think that, I mean, the, the, leadership role that probably takes up the most of my time and my attention is in parenting. And so in trying to cultivate my own character and character in my son, um, I think one of the things that I focus on the most uh, is just repenting to my child, which is Mm -hmm. so humbling to look a five-year-old in the face and say (laughs) that you sinned against them. Um, But it happens and it, and it has, has to happen daily basically. And, um, it takes a lot of humility to do that. Um, not that I'm like tooting my own horn, but just like it requires a lot for me. Yeah. It is painful sometimes to to realize that I've like harmed my child with mm-hmm. the way that I spoke to them or that I've modeled something that um, was sinful in the way that I spoke to them. And so I think that and I hope that that will um, teach him to 
look to Jesus as his only true and perfect parent. Like I know that I'm not going to parent my child perfectly. It's not possible for me to do that. But I hope that the ways that I fail him um, will be things that will point him to to his true father and and cause him to love him deeply. And I hope that he will see the love that I have for God and really um, that 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 he would catch a hold of that and come to love the Lord himself. Um, And then when I think about my role in teaching through the Bible studies that I write for women's ministry, um, first off, when I'm preparing for those, I... I I know that I'm not ready to teach if I haven't been shaped by the text myself. So if I haven't figured out how I need to be convicted by whatever passage I'm teaching, I'm not ready to teach it. Actually, in the Galatians study last year, there was an application point that uh, one of my friends from GBC did not appreciate because she felt a little convicted about it. And she texted me that she was angry at me (laughs) jokingly. And I was like, it's okay. I, um, I don't punch anyone in the face until I've punched myself first. Like, uh, very fight club of you. (laughs) Galatians. Galatians Uh, It's tough. Um, so that's one thing that I, I try to do. Um, and, and I also try to pray regularly that like when I, when it's time for me to actually like record the audio of the teachings, um, I just pray that I wouldn't be a distraction. Like mm. I don't want to be a distraction by having really funny jokes or by making really big mistakes, like in either direction. I don't want to be a distraction. I just want to point people to Christ. And so I, I try to pray that really purposefully before I teach. That's good. good. Nice. Josh, how, how, about, yeah, how about for you? Uh, two things came to my mind. Uh, one, I think just one way I cultivate this or try to cultivate it is is by being really um, intentional about who I hang out with hmm. uh, when it comes to other Christian leaders. Like if we take the idea that you kind of reproduce who you are and who you are rubs off on others around you, I think if you're trying to cultivate this kind of Christian leadership, then it's important to look for that kind of leadership in somebody else Mm. and make those kinds of people, the people you spend time with and try to like learn from. And those are the ones you're asking the questions about how to lead. Um, So, I mean, one of the things in the book says, if you tell people what to do more than you show them what to do, that is not Christ-like leadership. And so that's just like maybe one attribute is who are the people in around me leadership wise, other lead pastors, especially who, um, you know, they're not perfect, but at least they're trying to live out what they're saying. Mm -hmm. And there's not a big disconnect there. Um, and that they see this value of who we are matters more than what we do. Um, if you spend time with people like that, it reinforces this to make you want to cultivate it more. Um, but the other thing that this book raised, and I thought was really helpful, is um, he, it's a quote from Lindsey Brown. Um, and he said, how people, um, he was once asked how people keep going for decades in Christian service. Basically, like, how do you keep doing this? How do you make it? In the, in the context, it's like, how do you make it in a way that's really healthy and life-giving to those around you? And he said, they believe two things about the gospel, that it is both true and wonderful. Amen. And just it's so I love how simple that is but mm-hmm. it's like man if I'm going to cultivate this kind of leadership in my life then I have to be someone who's like man this is true and it's wonderful and I think in this section he's talking about how um, you won't uh, like if you understand that you are uh, you know you have sin like there's things in your life that 
constantly need to be dealt with and repented of. Um, the only way that you'll want to feel the freedom to repent of those and bring those out is if you believe the gospel's true. Yeah. Right. And then as you do that, though, you'll believe it's wonderful um, because you're like, wow, this is amazing. God's grace is so just pervasive, you know, in my life. And so, so if I don't believe the gospel is true, uh, I'm not going to get it out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm going to keep hiding and faking it and not cultivating this kind of Christian leadership. Yeah. But as I get it out there, if I believe the gospel is true, then I will experience it as wonderful. And then if you take Lindsay's Brown word, word for it, then you're gonna be able to do this for decades Amen. and it won't be the easiest process. And it might not be like the coolest process, you know, but it'll be a process where maybe at the end of that eternal horizon of life, you look back and you yeah. can hear God's voice basically say like, yeah, well done. Yeah. You know, so. Man, that's so good. Cause we're having this conversation about leadership in a context that many are saying has been the most difficult time to lead thinking yeah. pastorally in a long time. And so leadership's really important. Uh, again, we could continue to explore things, but one thing I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up from the book, and I hope people, again, read the book, read it with others at Gresham Bible Church, encourage each other about it, is you know this idea of leading from who you are more than just what you do. And he, Rico Tice, um, encourages some people in his life with what question do you not want me to ask you? So he has people in his life who ask him, what question do you not want me to ask you in terms of accountability and cultivating this? So I'm just curious, just real quick, like how did that section of the book strike you? Um, How does that look like in your life? What question do you not want people to ask you around? Just like, do you think that's a good idea for cultivating this type of leadership or not? Just curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I think we should put it as just a regular point of order and service every week. Just to <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and ask, wow, what yeah. do you not want me to ask you? All right, I'm not sure that's where we're going. <laughs> oh, but yeah. uh, I, I'm sorry, I misunderstood. <laughs> I, yeah. It, so that that putting it that way means that you have to tell the person what you don't want them to ask you, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's not that they already know, hey, I know you don't want me to ask you about this, but I'm going to. So there's this idea of of openness, honesty, humility coming into play of of us being vulnerable, us being um, transparent, us having those intimate, accountable relationships. I would not suggest doing this with anybody you come across in the church of, hey, can I just tell you about the one thing I would never want you to ask me about? Like, yeah. That would be a weird thing to do during fellowship break lobby. on a yeah, Sunday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Hey, I'm getting coffee also. Would you ask me about this? Because I don't want you to. Um, but we need that. Um, God created us as relational beings. We're not meant to do this alone. When you saw that Adam was alone, he thought it was not good. So he got him a helper. Mm-hmm. And when we look at church as a body, Josh already made reference to that. We have many parts, many roles to play. And we're this unified group under the same message of the truth and wonder of the gospel that we should be able to have open, honest conversations and be able to say, this is the thing I don't want you to ask me about because I need help with it. And I know Christ is, is, has forgiven me of it and, you know, will forgive me of this, but I need you to also come alongside me in my life to help me in that. And if we can cultivate that kind of humility in who we are as a church, that 
we're willing to talk about the things that we think we're getting away with in secret. He has a whole chapter about the sin of Achan from Joshua chapter seven, thinking he's going to get away with stealing the defiled things to make himself richer. Uh, no, it's found out. And and because of that, it affects not just Achan and his family, it affects all the people of Israel, all of God's people. And so we need to become repentant people like David, a man after God's own heart, a woman after God's own heart, that we're willing to have these conversations and mm-hmm. And when we do that, it's not judgment on our part of like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that's going on in your life. I think a lot of times we'll find the things that we think that we're the only ones that we sh- we struggle with that and no one else does is almost never the case. I think that's almost a lie that Satan has convinced us of, that you're mm-hmm. the only one. And that's where that the shame that you mm-hmm. talked about earlier, Lindsay, comes into play of, well, no one else is going through this. And if they knew this about me, they would never listen to me again yeah. or whatever of like, you're not meant to be. I think it's a John Stott quote we're not meant to be sinless. We're meant to sin less, right? Mm -hmm. As we become better and better Mm -hmm. followers of Christ. And so if we can remove that expectation from ourselves of, I have to be perfect. And if people know I'm not, then I'm failing. Well, no, that's, that's not how God looks at it. And yeah, we shouldn't expect that of people around us or expect that for ourselves either too. That does not give us a permission to be like, Hey, go, go wild. So however you want, obviously I'm not saying that, but yeah, just, I hope that we all can find people in our life that we can be that that transparent with. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's important. All right, yeah. well, as we wrap this episode to a close, Josh, early in the book, there's a quote by J.C. Ryle. Would you mind like reading that for us and kind of bringing this to a close? For sure. I did want to piggyback on that Please. really quick. Yeah. I mean, because we were talking about this beforehand, but I think why that question is actually pretty important. And mm-hmm. yeah, you have to have wisdom in who you share it with. But um, we, we want to be clear that even in the Aiken story, it's a good example of how hidden sin in our life actually has a really dramatic effect on each other. Mm-hmm. And I think we live with that lie that if it's just me and God that knows, then me and God will deal with it over time. Mm-hmm. And But by me not like getting that into the light so that the light can kill that thing that's dark. Um, It's going to have an effect on people. Like it's going to affect my own abiding in Christ and my ability to uh, minister out of that abiding. It's going to um, just affect the way that I treat you. It's going to affect the way that I would even want to be, um, have a healthy relational vulnerability or intimacy with the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so um, it'll cause you to want to isolate, withdraw, um, which I think speaks to some of the stuff you were saying about shame. And um, yeah, just I said it earlier, but like you, you know, before we started recording, but just it's kind of like you throw that rock into a still pond and there's a ripple effect. I think we see that in our actions and our words and the good things that we do, but it also is there's a ripple um, in how we affect other people, I think, yeah. through the things that we think no one else sees except God. Amen. But, um, and I think we've all had that, you know, somebody finally admits something and and you, you realize how that was really affecting that person and therefore how it affected you, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's in your home life, whether it's uh, just in a relationship in the world, you know, so... I think it's just worth saying that I no, think it's amen. huge to ask Thank that question because that. of the effect it has on other people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we are tricked to think it doesn't. But yeah, I think the last quote is because I think a lot of people, we can get to the, through this conversation and whether you're a leader, you think, man, there's so much pressure on me, you know, um, or, you know, y- you you think of other leaders and their failure and like, oh, man, will the church even remain? And so uh, there can be a discouragement around that. And so I love Alistair Begg's introduction uh, he quotes uh, J.C. Ryle, um, 
and I thought it was worth just reading because, um, yeah, it's really um, inspiring and uh, comforting. But it says, fear not for the church when ministers die and saints are taken away. Christ can ever maintain his own cause. He will raise up better servants and brighter stars. The stars are all in his right hand. Leave off all anxious thought about the future. All is going well, though our eyes may not see it. The kingdoms of this world shall yet become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. Amen. That's a great promise. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for the helpful conversation today. Uh, if this sparks questions for you, ideas, again, the point of this podcast isn't just to be something, I say this often, but it's just not to like give you content to consume in the life of our local church. It's to actually spur one another on towards life and godliness, towards where is my life out of step with the gospel? We live life together as a church family. Let's talk about it together. Help each other follow Jesus to prize the gospel. Uh, so anyway, if this sparks any of that for you, encourage you to talk to others about it. And uh, if you'd like to talk to any of us, um, kind of follow up from this conversation, please don't hesitate to do that. And the best way um, to reach out is by emailing me at mike at greshambible.org. So Gresham Bible Church, we love you. And I hope this has been an encouraging conversation for you. Until next week.